0: We are going to begin uh, in Matthew chapter 16 today, Matthew chapter 16, and you're going to want to have your outline, we're going to talk about something very, very important to us as a church. So as uh, we come back wrestling um, with uh, what to teach the first week, coming back and, and uh, also you know, just first week being, being back here at church, beginning of, of January And so uh, we've opted, I've opted to to jump right back into Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 16. I think if there was any chapter that I would want to begin a year with, it would be Matthew chapter 16 because there's so much in this chapter. It's going to take a few weeks to get through it. This chapter will define who we are as a church. And as we go through, uh, there'll be those, those places where you'll say, oh, that's, that's why they talk about it. Oh, that's why, why that's you know something that they, they highlight. Uh, chapter 16 marks a, a new beginning in the gospel of of Matthew. It's going to be the first time that the word church is mentioned. It's going to be the uh, first time where Jesus very, very specifically talks about his death, his burial, and his resurrection, chapter 16 is going to include Bible prophecy, so we're going to talk about that as we travel through. You and I live in a very interesting time. We live in the generation that the Bible speaks more about than any other generation since Jesus was here on the earth. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about some faith lessons, how you and I live out this, uh, this walk that we have, Jesus did not call his disciples to become nicer and nicer people with more and more information. He called them to step out and trust him for ever greater things. And so we're going to talk about that as we travel through this chapter. As a, a church, uh, we're going to be talking about, well, I, I would just say that, that uh, this year, I believe in 2018, as we talk about faith, that God's going to call each of us to take some steps of faith. He's going to call us individually to do that. But also, as we've been talking about the Next Step Ministry Center, we're going to be taking a step of faith as, as a church and building that. So that's going to be something that we'll be sharing as we travel through this chapter. Also, we're going to talk about in this chapter how Jesus chooses to build his church. And that's going to be a very interesting conversation. But then he's also going to talk about what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. And so that'll be enlightening for us. So the big challenge in this chapter as we, we go through, and we're going to take a couple of weeks to get through it, I like to go uh, a little more than, than we're going to get through today, but, but uh, the big challenge is always what do you leave in and what do you leave out? So I love this chapter. Let me just say that as, as we begin but I really wrestled with uh, coming in and starting at the beginning of this chapter on this day being the first time that i 'm back here in, in uh, January because of the content of this chapter of, of this, this first part and what and what it means, and so sometimes I wrestle with you know what do you do you share and uh, so I was sharing with our kids the other day, and I was saying, you know i 'm just wrestling with the, the topic I, I want to teach it um, and I'm excited about it, but uh, you know i don't know that, that the people are always as excited about it, but you know I, it, it's there and it's do we start at the beginning of the chapter and my son know was very insightful and he turned to me 16 and uh, he says dad if the teacher only teaches what the people want to hear then how would we ever know that four plus four equals seven and i looked at him and he smiled so i knew he was joking and inside i said thank you jesus because he's homeschooled you know and so (laughs) so so uh so that, that is a little bit, and you'll see why a little bit of wrestling that I had as we did this. As our story begins, I would want to say that the, the Jewish people in the time of Jesus had been waiting for the Messiah, the Christ, to appear and uh, a, a number, number of uh, you know, hundreds of years they'd been waiting and some things had taken place. And so on this particular day as our story unfolds in chapter 16 verse 1 it says the Pharisees and the Sadducees came up and testing Jesus they asked him to show them a sign from heaven and that'll be very important, a sign from heaven. So as our story begins you have the Sadducees and the Pharisees and they come together. Now this, they are both, they're both Jewish groups, however they were enemies. They were on such opposite ends of the extreme. We'll talk about this next week but uh, this is sort of like the pro-life group and the pro-choice group coming together for a common cause. So it has to be a huge enemy for this, these two groups to come together. So that'll be important. Uh, they come to Jesus and they ask for a sign from heaven now Jesus has given a lot of signs but that hasn't really had any effect on them, signs or miracles. There was a belief system of the day I'm not saying that this is true, I'm just saying this is one of the things that they believe. They believed that Satan could manufacture miracles on the earth but Satan couldn't make a miracle appear or come from heaven, come from the sky so, um, so that's that possibly what's going on when it says the Pharisees and the Sadducees came up, and it says, and testing Jesus. Now when it says testing, that word testing is the same word, periazmo in the original language, that's the same word that was used when Jesus was tempted by Satan. So it's, it's, it's something where they're not testing in the sense that they want to believe, they're trying to set him up. It's the same word. So uh, I think some translations even use the word tempted Jesus in, in, in this. So you know, keep that in mind. So they come to Jesus. Now Pharisees and Sadducees, typically when we encounter them in the Bible, are they believers or are they unbelievers? They're, they're typically unbelievers. They, they don't embrace Jesus. That'll be important for our study today. So as they come to Jesus, he, he doesn't get into an argument with them and he doesn't question their motives. They're seeking a sign. He just responds in verse two and it says, but he replied to them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do, do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky but cannot discern, and I want you to underline, cannot discern the signs of the times. He goes on and he says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And a sign will not be given it. A sign will not be given to an evil and adulterous generation generation it's not that he doesn't give signs it's just not they're not going to see it as the idea an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and a sign will not be given it except the sign of jonah and then i want you to notice how he concludes this he doesn't wait for them to respond i've underlined it says he left them and went away he left them and uh, went away So to the unbelieving Sadducees and Pharisees he says no sign is going to be given you, you always want signs, there's been a lot of miracles, none of those have been good enough for you, you always want more. Which is a whole conversation in and of itself. So he says but there's one sign that you'll be given and that's the sign of Jonah. Now you, you've heard the story of Jonah, Jonah and the fish, and so God says go. <laughs> Jonah says no, and so as he says no, going the opposite way, you know, ultimately gets thrown into the sea and he's swallowed by a fish, and that's kind of like Jesus dying. He goes down into the depths, and that's kind of you know what times about Jesus in the depths of the earth, and on the third day he's vomited out, and that's kind of like the the resurrection. So some some people look at it that way, and 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 that would be true. However. When Jonah went to the city of Nineveh and he goes with his message, he performs no sign. No sign. He shows up and the only sign that that they get is that Jonah shows up. Jonah preaches a message and the message is destruction is coming and for them they recognize that this message is from God and they repent. For this group they want all the signs, but none of the signs have any effect, and uh, they don't embrace the teaching. So as Jonah was the sign, uh, Jesus is the sign, and we'll talk about that as we travel through. So Jesus says, no sign will be given you except the sign of Jonah, but then he takes it to the next step, and this is what I want to talk about today. Uh, He's speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They would be considered the religious leaders. They would be considered the Bible scholars. They would be considered the Bible teachers. And he says to them in verse 3, he says, you know, in the morning there will be a... uh, He says, uh, I'll I'll read verse 2, but he replied to them, when it's evening you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky? but cannot discern the signs of the times. Cannot discern the signs of the times. So they knew, like we do, that you can look at certain weather patterns and you can determine what's going on. For instance, they say it one way. We would say in our culture, in our language, red at night, sailors delight. Red in the morn, sailors be warned. And so you would look at the weather and you can determine this is probably how it's going to be. But Jesus said you know, you feel confident that you can predict the weather um, but uh, you can't see the signs that are taking place all around you and you're missing it. And apparently this was something very important to Jesus and because these religious leaders and because these Bible so-called scholars were not doing that, you notice he responds, he just leaves them. I'll show you how important this is as we travel through. So he says, You you cannot discern the times. There were certain prophecies that were given that these Pharisees and these Sadducees should have been very aware of and should have recognized that this was the Christ and the Messiah that they had been waiting for. So again, there were some prophecies in the Old Testament about when the Messiah would come, there are certain things that he would do. And he would do them, and nobody else has ever been able to do those things. He's the only one. And they knew this. But, but they, didn't, they didn't make the connection of what was going on. So we, we know the story. Uh, we looked at it several months ago, but John the Baptist, who's a cousin of Jesus, and he's uh, not one of the 12 disciples, but he was the one who proclaimed before Jesus that the Messiah was coming. And, uh, and uh, so John the Baptist gets arrested, and he's sitting in prison, and he begins to have doubts. And as he begins to doubt, he sends a message to Jesus, and he says, are you the one, or should we look for another? And Jesus doesn't send back all the convincing you know, arguments or anything like that. He just simply quotes from the Old Testament the things that the Bible said that were prophesied that the Messiah would do when he appeared. And uh, So there on your outline, about 800 B.C., Isaiah said it like this, and Jesus is just quotes it back. He says, go tell John this. The deaf will hear, and Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament, the deaf will hear, the eyes of the blind will see, the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will, sound, will shout for joy. So, so those things would be done by the Messiah and these sadducees and pharisees have seen these things that jesus has done but but they still don't believe they don't they don't believe what the bible said so god said these are the things that would happen when the messiah arrived nobody had ever done these things now again i'm just showing one scripture there there are many that that we could we could share but what the messiah would do was all laid out in their bible you and i would call the old testament or the hebrew scriptures and yet they completely missed it. They completely missed it. So keep in mind as we traveled through as we traveled through, that before Jesus the Christ the Messiah would appear the Bible had already said this is what he would be doing. These are the things that would be taking place. That will be important for our study. Now most of us are familiar with that passage where Jesus sends back to John the Baptist says, this, this is what's going to happen. But it wasn't just that God said, this is what the Messiah will do when he arrives. God said, I will tell you exactly when the Messiah will arrive. So there's this great book of prophecy in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 9, there in your outline, about 538 BC, God gives Daniel this prophecy. And he says, so you are to know and discern. I've underlined that word, discern. That from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Speaking very Hebrewish, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. In 538 BC, uh, Daniel is a captive in, in uh, Babylon at that time, and, uh, which is modern day Iraq. So God gives him a, a prophecy. And he says from the time, now Israel's destroyed at this point, from the time that there is a decree to rebuild Jerusalem will be, he says here, uh, 62 weeks and, and 7 weeks. Now that, that word weeks kind of throws us. Uh, the word weeks in the original language Shabuah just means 7 years. It'll be 7 weeks of years. Uh, the best way to describe that is if I say decade, how many, how many years am I talking about? 10. We all get that. Well, we think in tens. Jewish people thought in sevens. Seven's a big number in the Bible. And so, um, so they had a term, like we would say decades, ten years, there were Shabuah would mean uh, a seven-year time period, and there would be 69 periods of that time period when, they, when there is an issue or a decree for Jerusalem to be rebuilt till the Messiah comes. It's all laid out in Scripture. So um, now that, that would be um, Jewish years. Our years are 365 days, theirs are 360. But that was given. It'll be 483 years, essentially, uh, until that happens. So it's almost 100 years after Daniel gives that prophecy. And again, that'd be 483 years, but uh, our our dates are a little bit different. We're 365, they're 360. So nearly 100 years after Daniel gives that prophecy, there is a guy named Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is working for King Artaxerxes, who is the king of the world there in Persia. Uh, He's working for the Iranians, we might say. And uh, so it's in this time, and and, uh, it says there in the outline, I want you to just pay attention that the Holy Spirit wants us to know exactly the time. It says, this is about 100 years later, 445 B.C. It says, and it came about in the month of Nisan, In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. And so people who do dates can go back and they can tell exactly what that date is. And and, uh, Nehemiah goes before the king. I've condensed this. I said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans Euphrates and may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forests, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the city wall underline city wall. That city will be Jerusalem. And and because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, and the king gave me the king's letters. So, so what's taking place here, and I've condensed that chapter, Nehemiah's heart is breaking that Jerusalem has been destroyed. So he works for the king, and on this particular day, and you can read it, uh, the king says, what's going on? He says, my city is in ruins, and, uh, and so I, I want to go back and rebuild it. And so the king on that day in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes in the month of Nizon, issues a decree that Jerusalem would be rebuilt. So Nehemiah was able to go back with the letters and get that done. That began the time clock as to when the Messiah would appear. Does that make sense? And so they were supposed to know that. They were supposed to recognize that. Now when the Messiah would appear, I didn't put this on your outline, not only would he appear exactly at that time, but uh, Zechariah told us that when he appeared, he'd come riding into Jerusalem specifically to uh, present himself as the king or as the Messiah by riding on a donkey, you know, uh, one that had never been ridden. Now, we know that event as Palm Sunday, and uh, what we miss when we, we read the Palm Sunday account is that you know? They they begin to put the branches down and they began to yell, Hosanna, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and certainly, if you grew up in church, you've you've heard that story every every Palm Sunday. Well, what we miss is that as Jesus rides into town, the people who were there weren't at the market. They weren't just hanging out, going to restaurants and shopping. They were there because they knew what the Bible said. 483 of their Jewish years at a specific time the Messiah would come into Jerusalem in this place at this time and they were waiting. They were waiting. We tend to think that people are just there shopping or something. That's not what's taking place. They're waiting for it all to take place just as the Bible said. So Jesus comes riding into the city at the time that the Bible said, and they erupt. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna just means Lord save us, Lord save us. So it happens just as, as the Bible said. Now, when you read that story, when you read that story, one of the things that takes place is a page ahead of my notes so what happens in that time jesus comes into jerusalem they're they're yelling hosanna hosanna blessed is he comes in the name of the lord jesus comes in and although there's a few thousand people who are looking there for it all to happen just as the bible said at just the time he looks out over jerusalem he sees a couple of million people at this time they're at the temple they're doing religious things, they're nice people, uh, they profess to love the Lord, but, but they had never been told about the timing. And, and their religious leaders didn't take it imp- as important enough to tell them. And, and, and so they're down there doing the religious thing and they completely missed the most significant event, Jesus coming in just as the Bible said. So Jesus then comes in, he looks at the city, They're all doing the religious thing. They're there for a religious holiday. And there in your outline, it says, when he approached, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground and your children within you And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. And that took place in 70 AD. The next word is the word because. You want to underline the word because. Because. Why is this going to happen? Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Does everybody see that? So it had all been laid out in the Bible. They were supposed to recognize it. They were supposed to know exactly when this was going to take place. And here, because they didn't, God holds them responsible, accountable. Apparently his first appearing was something that was very important to Jesus. Sadly, it wasn't important to the religious leaders. They said, you know, you spend all that time worrying about when the Messiah is going to come, he's going to come, when he's going to come, you know, it's all going to pan out as it happens, you know, you don't need to focus in on that. And so they didn't Teach on it. They didn't study it, but Jesus held them accountable to recognize the time when He would appear, come riding in. There were a few thousand people who were looking at what the Bible said; they were ready. But most people, they were at temple doing religious things, but they completely missed. And there were consequences for not being prepared for that. Does that make sense? So, um, did I put you to sleep yet? So, so I want you to notice. He says in verse three, he says, "You you can't you can't even discern the signs of the times, and you guys are Bible teachers." And so, how does he respond in verse four? It just the very last line it just says he left them and went away. It's as if he says, "This is so glaring, uh, you, you're missing it. I'm just I'm done. I'm done." Is is the idea? Now, um, he had given in the Bible in the Old Testament. What would be taking place when the Messiah appeared? He gave them the time period that, that he would be arriving. Few were looking and waiting. Most, sadly, didn't think it was all that important. They didn't focus in on it. So the question is, just as he held them responsible to recognize his appearing the first time, and he held them responsible, there are consequences, Does he hold his people today responsible to recognize the time and his next appearing? And so I want to take a few moments and just lay out some things that the Bible says. Again, there's a whole lot more that we could talk about, so these are just some things. So um, we took two weeks in November to talk about this time period called the end times, and uh And uh, we talked about two very, very specific prophecies if you if you weren't there then uh, you, you'll want to get that. But one of the things that the Bible teaches is that the last days will begin when Israel becomes a nation again. Israel ceased to exist as a nation in seventy a d uh, they, they were They were wiped out by the by the Roman legion. so you have there Israel will come back into the land by the way, two chapters ezekiel thirty six and thirty seven is a two-chapter prophecy about Israel coming back into the land in the last times. That's the beginning of that last generation. But in Isaiah, about 800 years before Jesus was even born, it said it like this. Then it will happen on that day that the Lord will again recover the second time with his hand the remnant of his people, underline that, who will remain. From Assyria, Egypt, Pathos, Cush, Elam, Shinar, that's Babylon, Iraq, Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. They didn't really have a word in Hebrew for other continents, so just those who are across the sea. He will lift up a standard for the nations and will assemble the banished ones of Israel and will gather the dispersed of Judah, this time from the four corners of the, of the earth. And uh, This was written 800 B.C. and it says he will restore them the second time. Israel had not been removed from the land the first time. The first time they went into what was called the Babylonian captivity and we have those great stories of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego but they all came back into the land from that land. This refers to something where they will all come back into the land uh, from the four corners of the earth. And then it says, and so Israel uh, in 1948 was declared a nation again. By the way, it's the only nation on the planet That did not exist as a nation. And then for 2,000 years or 2,000 years later, almost, they become a nation and their people begin to come back into the land from all four corners. The part that I find so interesting it says, the remnant of his people who will remain. Israel becomes a nation in 1948, but it's only the remnant of those who remain that will come back into the land. What happened just before 1948 that there was only a remnant of the Jewish people left? The Holocaust. And it's after that that they come back into the land. And this time it's from the four corners of the earth. This uh, was considered to be an allegorical or spiritual prophecy but it took place just as the Bible said. Now interesting, again this is the only nation to ever exist outside of its homeland to become a nation again 2,000 years later. Uh, Jesus was talking uh, about Jerusalem specifically and there in your outline it says, Jesus says they will fall by the edge of the sword, they will be led captive into all nations. That happened in, 19, or that happened in 70 AD, Israel's dispersed throughout the world. All, to, all nations. And then it says and Jerusalem, and I want you to underline the word Jerusalem, will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. And then I want you to underline until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. It's very interesting, uh, Israel became a nation in 1948, but they only had half of Jerusalem. It wasn't until 1967 that Jerusalem becomes completely under Jewish control. And so he says Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by Gentiles, under Gentile control, Uh, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. I would suggest to you that that means now that Israel has control of Jerusalem that the times of the Gentiles is coming to a close and that he will begin focusing very much on the nation of Israel which is a big story for another day. Recently our country recognized Jerusalem to be the capital of Israel. Certain religious leaders we're very quick to say that jerusalem does not belong to israel it belongs to the world that is a false teaching the bible says it will be trampled underfoot by the gentiles until the times of the gentiles be completed so uh, i you've have you heard that in the news recently so very very interesting so so israel becomes a nation ultimately we see that that time period is coming to a close There will be signs in the world. Uh, There are those who say it gets better and better and better but Paul would say this there in your outline. You must understand this, that in the last days there will be violent periods of time. How's that for an encouraging message? There will be violent periods of time. You know, there'll be flying airplanes into buildings, there'll be terrorism, there'll be car bombings, uh, there'll be suicide bombers, uh, people will be shooting upwards of 500 people, 50 plus dead, and people will be walking in the movie theaters and just open fire. It will be a very unusual time very unusual time the idea is it doesn't get better and better and better it goes in a certain direction but that begins when israel becomes a nation again for those of you who are as old as i am 35 or so the um (laughs) our world has really changed in the last few decades Uh, when i was a boy we didn't have alarms in our house but we sure do now so the world has really changed well the next verse, Jesus is talking about the end times. He says for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. Famines, earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginning of the birth pangs, you know, earthquakes. And uh, he, he says it's like birth pangs. The idea is when this begins in that last generation, these things are going to be like birth pangs. That is, uh, you have a very long pregnancy, then labor begins at a certain point. The contractions be, aren't, aren't as strong as uh, you know by the end, but but they become stronger and stronger and closer and closer together. And Jesus says that's how these things are going to be. So so we need to know that. I believe that in 2018, as we finished 2017, we were shocked by some of the things that we saw. We were shocked. Uh, but 2018, I can tell you that. If this is true, we're probably going to be shocked some more, some more. So, but Jesus says, but these are, these are merely the birth pangs. But one of the things um, that really hits me there's, there's signs, Israel becomes a nation. There'll be signs in the world. I've given you just two. Uh, but there's also going to be a sign in the church, by and large, just like it was on that day. So, there on your outline, Peter, as he's writing about this, he says, but know this first of all. When he says, know this first of all, he says, this is important. you got to know this. This is, this is a high priority. He says, but know this first of all, in the last days, last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. you know Where is the promise of his coming? And they mock those who would be believing in the imminent return of Jesus for his church. So the question is who is doing the mocking of this whole Jesus coming back? Well I'm going to suggest to you it's not the Buddhists because they don't know about Jesus coming back and they don't care. It's not part of their, their, their belief system. It's not the Muslims. It's not really part of their system either. It's not the Jesus that we talk about. And so so they're not mocking the whole idea of Jesus coming back. So who would be mocking the idea of Jesus coming back? I'm going to suggest to you it's somebody who knows about the teaching of Jesus coming back. It's going to be those who are sitting in church seats all around the world who when somebody begins to talk about Jesus coming back, they begin to mock that. And that will be a sign of the last days. And so this is something that was very important to Jesus. Sadly, for most of the religious leadership it wasn't all that important. And there were consequences for that. So this appears to be a general attitude within the church at large. As a matter of fact most churches, and not to bash because you know we're friends with, with, with them all, but, but uh, in church world there's certain things that they tell you not to talk about on Sunday morning. Things like spiritual gifts, um, um, spiritual warfare, and end times. Those are things that people just stay away from. So those are things that we talk about. So if, uh, so, so, that's, and so, there you have it. So we, I would say, did you find that interesting? Okay, so here, here's what I would want to share with you today on this first week coming back in, uh, in, in this new year. You and I live in a fascinating time. You and I live in a time that the Bible speaks more about than any other time period in history. Even more than what the Bible said about his first appearing, the Bible speaks much more about the next time. If he held them accountable, I believe that he holds us accountable also to recognize the time of the visitation. It's something that's very important. So that's some of the, that's very very central to who we are as a church. We do take that very serious. But Jesus gives two commands facing the end times, and uh, says the disciples came to him privately, saying, "Tell us when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age?" They had rightly paired. His coming and the end of the age, a future event. I love Jesus' response. He doesn't say, you know what, why are you focusing in on that? It's not really important. It all pans out. There's so many other things to look at. Um, no, notice how he responds. The very first things out of his mouth, verse 4 there, it says, And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. And then he takes the next two chapters to talk about how it all goes down. The first words out of his mouth are, see to it that no one misleads you. The idea is that this is very important to Jesus. And so, sadly, in that day, it wasn't important to the church or to the religious leadership, so it wasn't important to the people. The same thing happens today, which is why we make this very important because he takes it very, very seriously. Again, you and I live in exciting times. But you know, you can get a little freaked out about some of these things as you as you read them. And so Jesus in that same chapter two two verses later says now listen see that you are not frightened for these things or those things must take place they are absolutely going to happen regardless of what religious leader politician turns around and says it's going to be awesome greater than ever we're going to really you know I can tell you what the bible says we're going in a certain direction but I will also say this God knows how to take care of those who are his. Those who are looking. Remember when Jesus came into Jerusalem? There's a few thousand people watching, waiting, expecting, excited, responding. And uh, he says, you know, I I can't tell them not to to cry out. This is an exciting time. But he looks to those who profess to be believers who weren't watching and says there's a great consequence for you taking this thing that's so important to me and and not even making it an issue for you. So I believe that for those who look to these things, for these things, and make these things as important to us as they are to him, that there is a unique protection in this time. And uh, I I don't know that I have uh, five or six verses, but it's just something that you see throughout Scripture. Did you find that interesting today? And uh, so part of my job is to always have a great conclusion and i don't <laughs> so but I, but i think it's very interesting that this first week of this year we find ourselves in this passage of this of this of this gospel maybe the lord is wanting to reveal something this week as a church we are going to be taking a time what we call prayer and fasting some will be praying Uh, Some will be praying and fasting. Those of you do, some will be fasting a meal a day, whatever it is. It's really about praying and seeking the Lord. Over the course of the next few days, we will be seeking the Lord for the lost people around us who need to come to Jesus. We we will be praying for um, what God wants to do in the life of this church. We have some big things that we'll be trusting God for. And then we'll be trusting God and praying for some things that will be a personal breakthrough for our individual lives. I want to encourage you to participate in that, but as we participate in that, recognize that God has allowed us to live in the most unique time in history, and uh, don't miss that. There's much that he wants to do in us and through us, but let's not be like those who, who weren't watching for his, his return, or maybe those who mock the idea of his coming. With that, we close in prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for revealing these things. Thank you so much for allowing us to to at least scratch the surface on some of these things. And uh, I pray, God, that you continue to reveal the things to us that you'd want to show us to help us to grow in our personal relationship with you that would help us to grow in our personal effectiveness for you. And Lord, in this time, I pray that you would accomplish great things in our individual lives, in our families. And Lord, I pray that you would accomplish great things in the life of this church. We ask that your will be done. And Lord, we ask that you keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. 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 God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.